Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we are going to look at the classical mystical path as it's seen through what is sometimes called the perennial philosophy or the primordial tradition. My guest is James Tunney, who is the author of The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times. Lines for Spiritual Evolution. He is also the author of two dystopian novels, Blue Lies September and Ireland. I don't know who she is. He is a qualified barrister and has taught law throughout the world. He's also a fine artist. Welcome, James. Thank you. Thank you again, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be with you. I know you take a lot of your inspiration in, in looking at the mystical path from uh, the writings of uh, Aldous Huxley. Um, yes, I, 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 I didn't revisit uh, Aldous Huxley until after I had done the work and I began to, to look around for, 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 for similar statements in, in, in context. Um, I'm not quite sure at the end of Aldous, Aldous Huxley's life about what his vision of the future was for him that he wanted for society. Uh, but in relation to the perennial philosophy, my disposition uh, is the same. Well, he wrote the perennial philosophy. Yes, yeah, and, yeah. Um, I was also myself greatly influenced by Houston Smith, who wrote a similar book called The Primordial Tradition. Yes, yeah. And the yeah. idea behind both of these books is that if you study the great mystics, spiritually realized people from all cultures, you can see that they have are experiencing a, a common unity. Uh, some people say, you know, there are many paths up the mountain, but it's all one mountain when you get yes. to the top. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. M my view is that for people genuinely following most uh, spiritual paths, uh, excluding strange cults or whatever on the side on marginal but but looking at the main traditions that have been around for a long time with great discipline and great history and great uh, evolution we we see the same general path of ev evolution so what i suggest is that there is a, a kind of simple structure i've articulated in my terms as a structure for my lines on spiritual evolution mm -hmm. so who what's the relevance of that my point or uh, idea would be that there are a lot of people who have felt abandoned by the institutions, but they realize that they're spiritual beings, but then they, they're not quite sure what they're meant to do or where they're meant to go. What I would suggest is that there is some indication from looking at the different mystical traditions of some type of path. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone is going to go all the way on that path. But it helps them to understand what other people were doing within the traditions and also may give them a map to say, well, these are the things I have to work at. And in fact, all of the different elements kind of go in parallel. So it's not 
It's, it's not laid out uh, clearly in some senses, but there, there is a structure and uh, there's a circularity or a chirality ab about the process. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I know in the case of Aldous Huxley, he was close friends with the writer Christopher Isherwood, yes. who became very uh, involved in the life of Sri Ramakrishna and the, yes. the uh, teachings of, of Vedanta, Vedanta, the yeah, classical yeah. yoga path, yeah, which yeah. I, many people are engaged today in, in the path of yoga, though not everyone understands the uh, philosophy behind it. No, and, and uh, yoga uh, had very, uh, very serious mystical and, uh, and spiritual dimensions to it. Uh, and perhaps that's why we hear debates and they annoy me uh, uh, now when I hear, I, I hear certain Christians uh, say, oh, this is anti-Catholic yogic practice mm -hmm. or I know serious Catholics who have said to me that martial arts are anti-Catholic. I, I find no basis for that in, in anything that I never heard Jesus saying anything against uh, yoga. But people are willing to put their own judgment above any other counter-indication. And yoga is, is very important in the Western terms to, to align the body, to get the body correct and to put one into a different dimension without all the other elements, because a lot of people are not particularly aware of the other element, but it's still important. And when you get into this, I've even heard it recently in re relation to Vedanta, I've heard some practitioners say, well, this is only some, this is the only thing you can get, you can only get it in Vedanta, you can get, so you have this exclusivity and territoriality, which in my view is inappropriate for genuine seekers, because you can learn and be informed from the different traditions. So it's a similar thing in relation to martial arts. I believe martial arts are very important in relation, very useful for people to develop their, 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 their ego development, their ability to defend themselves, but there's a very deep dimension to it uh, that's worth studying. And after I leave uh, New Mexico, I'll be going to Colorado and I'll meet up with uh, my former karate sensei and we're going to, uh, we'll probably be doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, more this time and concentrating on that. But his, he, he's a high-level black belt, but not only is he a high-level black belt who has uh, he's on a PhD comparing uh, accountancy and Western thinking with a Taoist perspective, which is quite interesting. But uh, he would have a very deep understanding of what the karate do means. The do, it's the same. I do a bit of judo as well. So judo means the gentle way. So judo was not meant to be merely about throwing people. It's very effective. For that. I recommend it to anybody. But uh, behind it, uh, the... The, the the founder uh, Kano, the, who who found the judo, uh, believed that the students should be doing calligraphy and they should be educating themselves, educating themselves about culture, and it was, it was a holistic uh, spiritual path. Those bits get cut out, and you get you get left with the bit which is only part of the whole story. Mm -hmm. So it, it's important to look uh, to look respectfully at other traditions, to learn whatever tradition you're used to. People often criticise. Um, and say, well, you were born Jewish, so you shouldn't be, it's easy for you to, whatever, or you were <laughs> born Catholic, it's easy for you. And, but you should learn in your own tradition and have respect for others and change as, as appropriate as people do. Uh, I've, I've always liked the Quakers, for example. I think that they have something to, uh, to offer that, that is quite unique. And they've shown that in relation to their business practices. Mm -hmm. So this idea of coming out into the world, uh, and doing things differently 
Cadbury, Schweppes, Bourneville, historically, uh, they, they had a, a, a basis and a philosophy that emerged from a, a spiritual path. So. These are businesses uh, yeah. established by Quakers. Yes, yeah, they, they have, a, and, and also they have a history of, of treating their workers better historically. Mm-hmm. And for example, during the Irish famine, they were one of the groups that actually helped people, and they're, they're kind of remembered for that. And at the same time, there was a lot of uh, I think Ernest Shackleton, if I'm not mistaken, the great explorer, came from uh, a Quaker background. You know, so they they weren't they weren't uh, ignoring the real world. In fact, um, mm-hmm. their, their spiritual uh, background helps them deal with the, the the real world, and also they advocate a very direct connection between the individual and the higher authority mm-hmm. without interventions. Now, I have often heard it said that the mystical people with any given religion have more in common with each other that, and, and from different religions than they have in common with the more orthodox from their own faith. Uh, I would believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. I believe that to be true. Uh, the only distinction I would make that if you look at say Judaism in its in a, at the there's a lot of very very uh, distinctive uh, and unique paths in that that I don't think you'd find elsewhere. For example, so only only on that basis, only that mm-hmm. exception that there are some that are so they're so evolved and so specific that. that, that well, y- but y- I, I agree with the proposition. Uh-huh. Yes, is the answer. I tell you because I uh, have had the privilege of interviewing many great rabbis, many mm. great swamis, mm. uh, Sufi masters. Uh, one who I was particularly close to was Rabbi Zalman Schechter, who was well known as a Hasidic. Rabbi, a very devout Orthodox Jew, but he felt quite comfortable uh, going into uh, a Muslim uh, Sufi community and praying with them. Of course, I, I find Sufi for me is very Sufism is very easy for me to un- understand to identify with yeah. what I can see. Uh, there's, there's a terrible. Here's an example uh, that which is a, a terrible example of the opposite of that, and this is where the dogmatists get in. Um, as far as I remember, well, I remember my father. Saying that that when he was younger, he wasn't a, the church would not allow them to attend the funerals of their Protestant neighbours. Mm. So they weren't allowed. So they, they were only allowed by their own church to stay outside and not enter the church. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that when the first president of Ireland died, that most of the cabinet stayed outside because they were paying attention to the wishes of the institution, mm. which I think is is, is morally offensive and, and there's no justification for that. So that kind of territorialism is totally inconsistent with the spirit of, of uh, the religious practice and uh, interest in Douglas Hyde, that president was also a folklorist, the first president of Ireland was a folklorist who used to go out and collect stories and who also wrote, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, an introduction, a foreword to Walter Evans Wences fairy folk of the Celtic lands, the mm-hmm. person who went on to write the Tibetan or translate the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yes. And also Douglas Hyde mentions that when he was a boy in a field, he saw a horse uh, transform into a woman. Mm-hmm. It's quite incredible. For, 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 but anyway, the point being that uh, there's a territorialism that the spirit of the religion is gone. There's nothing in the spirit uh, that I can see of Christianity that would say on some doctrinal grounds, you're not allowed to attend a funeral of a different religion. So yes, of course, 
the, the rabbi will, will be very comfortable and recognize and be respectful mm-hmm. and learn and enrich his his or her tradition from it. Well, you're, you're bringing up a crucial issue, um, which I guess I would say it relates to the notion of uh, discipleship, because many traditions say that the only way you're going to evolve a, into a deep spiritual path is if you have a guru, a teacher, someone who has already realized who can help you. You'll never get there on, on your own. But I know from our previous previous conversation, you have suggested we had a beautiful conversation on the question of globalism, and, and you made a point that uh, you don't uh, endorse individuals giving up their own personal sovereignty to some institution or organization. No, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I don't believe that the concept of submission that's emphasized by so the Jesuit order, for example, to take that mm-hmm. one, or is emphasized in a number of religions, the idea that you submit to authority uh, 100% is, is, is necessarily uh, the, the, the best way to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm very, you have to be careful, and every individual has to be careful about being drawn into cults, and they have to be careful that they're not uh, pulled in by psychological, by cheap means, or by the power and charisma of a person who's not necessarily a spiritually involved person, but may have very strong mental powers associated with their ego, uh, etc. Um, so uh, the 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 guru point is appropriate in relation to particular traditions, but not all traditions have this idea mm-hmm. of, uh, of the guru and. Uh, the idea that it's inevitable um, depends on the context. For example, obviously, if I start off as I have in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I have to be humble and learn off everyone because I can see and they can demonstrate and it's very testable when I roll with them whether they're superior to me or not. When you're starting, everyone is superior to you. So it's very, very clear that you have to learn off of the people. But it doesn't mean that the, the person takes away the sovereignty of your, they help you. It's a dynamic relationship. And take your, your, uh, the amount of interviews that you have done. That provides a store of information that's available for people yeah. to access, which is a, a substitute in, in some way of having someone to tell you because it wasn't available for for, for people previously yeah. to get access to such information. This was considered hidden. Now it's all yeah, over YouTube. Exactly. So so uh, I, I'm skeptical of that and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's uh, also this idea um, that now that doesn't mean that people don't need assistance if they're in a religious tradition well obviously there is a hierarchy in that, and that, that but again you don't have total, tr- we're not meant to have total trust in people. In fact, it's a good, it's a good thing to be mistrustful of authority yeah. in general. And, and in my experience with people who have submitted to a guru, mm. uh, there often comes a time where either the guru is going to push you out or you're going to decide for yourself you've had enough, it's time to move on. Yes, yeah. And um, it depends on, uh, I've heard Ram Das talk uh, about his experience going to India and th- th- there are different contexts and some contexts are very specific and if you're talking about meeting a person who by almost any standard is evolved spiritually that's a different thing than meeting certain other individuals so the obligation is still on the individual and nobody uh, has nobody that we know of 
really has superiority over your spirit. And I don't see any doctrinal basis that says that a person who is at the pyramid of a hierarchy of human-made things really has power over your spirit, because that, that's the antithesis of what most of the religions say, that your only obligation is towards the higher force. Mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't make sense to me. And there is this danger all the time of this interposition of other people's ego to stop your spiritual path. They don't have control over it in that, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Well, the other issue in everybody on a spiritual path has to come to terms with is dealing with their own uh, e ego issues. Okay. Perhaps I could explain this, the structure that I uh, I uh, utilized yeah. in a simple way as a, a superstructure. It might explain or address some of these issues. And again, I wrote the lines within this context. But I start from the idea, and, and I'm not claiming all this, I'm not claiming this is original, it reflects a lot of traditions. There's elements that I have that are original of the structure. Um, but to make it simple, we say we start off with the self. We grow up, our ego, our ego expands, so we start off uh, and we, our ego expands and grows and, uh, and accumulates different elements. And then at a certain point of time or maturity, we, we, we come to realize that, um, well, we may not be quite happy with ourselves or there's other things. Not always, but for people who are on a spiritual quest, they want something more. The things around them are not giving them that meaning. They don't have a sense of peace. And then they begin to, to focus. So the person on the spiritual quest then begins to move towards something which is called the true self. Now, the, the, the true self would be consistent with your pure consciousness. So again, in the Vedanta, Advaita, Vedanta, uh, non-dual idea, um, it's funny that when, if you, when you hear non-dualist talk, they always start talking about dualism. It's an interesting <laughs> phenomenon when you're talking. But so the, the idea being that we have this self which grows and that self uh, I call that the false self to distinguish it from the true self is, is the personality, the thing in the extra, the external world, the construct, a thing that has grown to suit the circumstances of our experience. And that ha we have to begin to turn away from that and look inside. And the idea is that inside we have it. It's there. It's there from the start. You're, you are that pure consciousness. It's there already. So you don't have to, work to find it. You have to do it to do it. But that's not the end of the story. So before that, uh, it really, there is a, uh, an idea that you do have to accept that you're a spiritual being in some sense. You do have to accept that you have conscience, consciousness in you. And I think that the extra dimension to help that process is understand that consciousness is fundamental. Now, we don't know that. We can't say that. It, it, there's a lot of evidence, uh, to, or there's a lot of people who would oppose that view. But we see that all the spiritual traditions say that consciousness doesn't start, it doesn't grow in the brain. It's not like something that can be squeezed out. It's not emergent in that mm -hmm. sense. It's something that's uh, pre-existing. Pre so that's consistent, as we said, as mm -hmm. we talked about, uh, with ideas in science, that consciousness is pre-existing. It comes into us. That is the true self. We add things on. So 
The true self is going back and is beginning to discard things. So it gets more back to the consciousness. And in doing so, it creates a sense of peace associated with that. So that, 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 that's one element of it. Um, in parallel or even when, if one ever reaches that stage, there are elements, further elements. There is the element of the journey. The journey is in every tradition, in some, some shape or form. If you look back at the early Christian texts in Ireland, it was a literal journey, like St. Brendan going on the, you know, it, it, it manifests. In, in a pilgrimage, for example. Pilgrimage is a, is a, is a classic yeah. example. Um, the, we see it in all the, the stories that Campbell talks about and myths and going somewhere. The hero's journey. Yeah, we see the hero's journey. It's the same thing. They're the, the journeying for something to get, to get mm-hmm. some, uh, but it's not to get some prize. It's, it's, it's to get some sp- spiritual uh, enlightenment. And the, uh, uh, I think the word light as well is, uh, is an important word. Light has with two elements in, in relation to light and the, the origin of, of a lot of life, but also in not being heavy. And I remember when I, when I met uh, Dennis McPherson, who was uh, an Ojibwe activist who had walked a big long walk to deliver a letter of a protest uh, to the then Canadian Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, and he was protesting against the, the treatment of Ojibwe's mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. And I remember the phrase, because uh, I was in a, his office, and he said that uh, your law, Prime Minister, is heavy on my people, but Ojibwe law is light in my heart. And I think that's a, that, that idea of lightness mm-hmm. is, uh, is important. So the, so the journey is the journey of growth. Now, that could mean a lot of things for different people. It could mean, for example, uh, I, I see people who care for other people. They sacrifice elements of their life to look after people who, mm-hmm. who need assistance. And that might be the journey for, for, for individuals because it demands, it demands great willpower, courage, perseverance, uh, uh, and compassion. Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. And there's an element. Uh, uh, so, so the journey doesn't have to be uh, a trip to Hong Kong or uh, going to the East or going. So sometimes there's too much emphasis on this idea of going to something exotic. Mm-hmm. The, uh, that, that's not necessary. It's an inner journey. Yeah. So all these journeys reflect the inner journey, as going back to Berkeley, that the inner world is huge, and this is a, an illusion that we fail fail to see. And people say, "Well, go in where? What's in there?" If you don't have any conception of something inside, it makes it more difficult. That can be a mental mm-hmm. block. But if you look at people like William Blake, William Blake, the great poet and artist uh, uh, and writer, who used to see angels from the time he was. Uh, he, he was a, a child uh, who was very critical of the evolution of the industrial society. He was very critical of science, very critical of the, tr- the treatment uh, of uh, Africans in London, of children in London, very critical of the satanic mills. Uh, so he, he, he said that, uh, he, he described it as imagination. So not just imagination, how you make something, but that the world is imagination and mm-hmm. imagination is more important than experience. So, so that's, that's again consistent with kind of Barclay's idea, but it also brings the attention back that the inner world is very, very rich mm-hmm. and, and one has to believe that for a start and engage in it. And that has to be, I can't make an inner journey for you, 
that journey has to be personal. It has to be a journey that you do. So a person may be able to guide you, give you some direction, but the journey is, mm-hmm. is something that you have to do. It's a personal, individual thing. It can't be given to someone else to make on your behalf by substitution or ritual or, or w- w- whatever change. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the journey aspect is, is parallel or, or part of this process. Well, you're reminding me of a phrase from uh, T.S. Eliot where he says, at the end of all of our journeying, we arrive at the place f- where we first started only to recognize it for the first time. That's right. So you're here, you're looking out, you're going out, is it over there, is it over there? In the Gospel of St. Thomas, again, it says that, looking everywhere, and they say, look over there, look, but it's not, it's in, it's in there, you have it. So it's about looking inwards, and in particular to the heart, to the idea of, of, the, uh, of the central energy, mm-hmm. which is based on, again, compassion is the key thing, I can't get away from that, there's no other word, it's the best word to describe the central thing. So... The compassion is both a starting point and a point to head to. Yeah. So the, the compassion is, a, is a, a guiding star as well. So if actions or courses are inconsistent with that, in my view, it will be the wrong path. I think it's that sense of compassion that makes the various uh, mystical uh, Seekers from different religions feel a, a kinship with each other more than they feel with the uh, Orthodox of, of their own faith, because often uh, the Orthodox are very judgmental. Well, the as far as I understand it, yeah. Christ's, uh, Jesus Christ's greatest criticism was for the legalists, the people that had become focused on the on details and the over. Uh, f- uh, focus on details mm-hmm. to the detriment of the spirit that motivated the uh, endeavor. So I think they were known as the Pharisees. The, back the scribes and the Pharisees. That, that, that's correct. So, yeah. so that attitude is uh, everywhere. Now, there is a bit of a problem in that, and I wonder about the psychology of this, because some people's minds may not be able to conceive that. Uh, their minds may be. I, I wonder about how a person's mind is formed, so they can't actually see the spiritual bit. It may be that some people find it more difficult, yeah. but certainly there's more people, there's other people who will hold on to the doctrine because it's easier. They don't have to do the other things. It's more predictable. They can exercise power. So those, those reasons may be, may be more significant, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they've also will have gone through the same, through the same, uh, pathway. So they're going to recognize people who, and also they, they should have a bit of humility. It's the same in the martial arts thing that the people at the top usually have a lot more humility than, than people there. It's a kind of paradoxical situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that, that's all, it's not necessarily the case, but it's often the case with, with, with the higher level martial artists, um, or people. And, and this is another, I think, a Maslow. Uh, Maslow, uh, Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow, yeah. So, I mean, he was very interested in peak experiences, yes. which were, which is in the same, uh, domain as mystical experience. Yes, indeed. And, and two things that he noticed. One, that, uh, people who have, be, who have attained those experiences are reluctant 
to talk about. They don't, they don't really want to necessarily share it to someone like him who's mm -hmm. a scientist. And I think that's very wise of them. <laughs> that was very wise of them to be careful. Uh, so it was difficult to get people sometimes to tell, uh, or to, to tell them uh, the, the exact nature. But in, in the, as far as I understand it, in the latter part of his, um, of, or the end of his career, he was focusing on plateau experience. And, and the idea that you come to, it, it doesn't go up and then down, that when you reach a certain level, there's a, a plateau at a higher level, which mm. I, I think is a correct description of spiritual uh, evolution. Well, uh, you know, one thing that really impressed me is is the idea I, I've seen in uh, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism in particular, that the simplest things in life can be the most profound. Like, I think the phrase they use is uh, chopping wood and carrying water. Yes. I, I, have a, I have a view, and I think back sometimes, now I know there was... I'm not going to glamorize the past or glamorize rural Ireland. I say it was great when there was loads of problems that we don't want to, you know, we wanted to, to change as well. But sometimes watching people in different societies doing simple things, making bread, concentrating on the thing, 100% concentration, 100% present, doing something useful, creating joy, sharing it. Why isn't that as, as important? And, and certainly bread is a very powerful yeah. uh, uh, spiritual uh, symbol. So uh, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think it has to be, uh, oh, look at me, I can levitate and uh, you look very mm -hmm. serious and, uh, you, you know, you talk in strange language. I don't think that's what it's about. And I think some of the most, pr uh, the highest spiritual leaders will will be people that will not get a second look uh, by anyone around them and they will seem to blend into the background and funnily enough that parallel is also in relation to magicians because if you talk to people in the esoteric context they realize that the the highest person in the particular discipline may be the person who is this sweeping or cleaning and so, so uh, that that's that's also the idea in, I suppose in Christianity that you don't know who you're dealing with you can't make judgments uh, and with, with the external appearance. And, sorry. Well, we have a, a real tendency in our social life to judge people by their external attainments. Yes, and, and this, this, is, this is, so if we say it's a journey, when, when a person is on the journey, whatever metaphor you want to take, ships or boats or all the walking or going up, climbing mountains, there's, a, there's some type of metaphoric, metaphorical journey. And on this journey, from the spiritual traditions, there's two types of things that characterize the journey. There's distinguishing between reality and illusion. That, 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 that's an important thing. What is real and what's not real? Mm -hmm. And real in this sense is not in the evolutionary sense. It's what is of real value and what is, uh, and what is not of value mm -hmm. in relation to the spiritual quest. You can see that, um, in a number of novels, Silas Marner by George Eliot, for example, where the miser loses his gold, but he gains a daughter with the, with the golden hair. Mm -hmm. So, and there was a different level of experience. He lost his miserliness and his miserableness, mm -hmm. and he elevated himself by focusing on the heart. Uh, also, another good example uh, of this general process, we could take A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, mm -hmm. or Scrooge, if people have seen the film. So that, that book identifies a classic mystical experience. Mm -hmm. So 
um, Ebenezer Scrooge goes, goes home and he's in his house. He may have a hypnagogic experience or he may have had an hallucination or it may be real. And he meets Marley, Marley's ghost, who is his old partner. And Marley is, is kind of being good, trying to help him to indicate that there's something wrong with his life. So then we have, we have uh, Scrooge, who's taken by the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. So we have the transcendent of time and space, which is a, relevant to the mystical experience. And he sees the effect of his behavior, as a person does in a near-death experience. He sees the effect he has on others. And he goes through that process, comes back and realizes what has been wrong with his life and celebrates Christmas thereafter. It's a classic example of a mystical event and the implications it can have, emphasizing that the key value is that compassion. And he's, uh, and Dickens says that even though people didn't really trust, or some people didn't really trust, he didn't care, he smiled afterwards and he mm-hmm. continued to celebrate Christmas. And, you know, and, and people can get the difference between the two characters. It's not difficult mm-hmm. to understand. Uh, his heart was opened up. His heart was opened up. And uh, th- so this mystical journey can be worked out through disciplined way, uh, but sometimes particular experiences will accelerate this process. Yeah. So the near-death experience is one of those that can accelerate. And uh, we know that Buddhist meditators can create those things, but they're, obvi- they're familiar with the cycle anyway. Mm-hmm. So people that have been meditating, contemplating in, in a positive way about other people, their own life, uh, they, they, they will begin to move we have this always idea of a ladder, uh, these symbols moving up levels. If one does engage in a spiritual quest, one does feel that one is moving up levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one has a sense, okay, I understand that this is a different level I'm on. That's a, that's a natural process mm-hmm. as well as a specific process yeah. in a number of different. My, my sense of the spiritual path is that it's possible that it can be joyful. From start to finish, uh, uh, for example, the yogis talk about ananda, the sense of bliss yes, yeah. that accompanies the path. But also from a Freudian perspective, we, we have the idea of defense mechanisms. If we have quirks in our personality, if we're trying to protect ourselves from seeing ourselves more deeply, we have defense mechanisms. And some people yes. are very well defended. And yes. in that instance where we're not willing, because of our defense mechanisms, to take a joyful path, we're often pushed, if we're on the path, we're pushed into a a painful learning situation, which which can be very beneficial at the end of the day, but it may break our heart uh, before we learn the lessons that, that are to be learned. That that's very well put. I couldn't put it better myself, but 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 that's that's uh, yeah that's a very profound statement and and, and very true. I, I I would agree with that proposition. Mm-hmm. The um, what you're suggesting as well is, and this is this is another important point. A part of the m- movement from the self to the true self is the transcendence of the ego, and this is where we move on towards. So this is an ongoing process. So. Uh, it's not that we don't have an ego. We need to have an ego. We need to be able to protect ourselves. We're not meant to become limp, defenseless people that can't throw someone if they attack us, for example. You're entitled to do so, to defend yourself against. That's, I'm not talking about, but, but peop, 
we can see that in the Shaolin Temple, for example, the, the way that martial arts grew out of religious traditions. Yes. I've been to the Shaolin Temple. Have you? Mm -hmm. I have not been to the Shaolin oh, Temple, one such but, <laughs> but you, will, you will see here in our home pictures and yeah. sculptures of Bodhidharma, the founder. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so uh, I'm joking there, but <laughs> I have, I have, I have, to have done something that you didn't do. <laughs> oh, you've done many <laughs> things I've never done. <laughs> uh, so, um, Yes, and and uh, the uh, the transcendence of the ego. We see this in in alchemy. That that's mm -hmm. what the the mirror of the distillation, getting rid of the other things, moving to a higher level. It's working on yourself. So that doesn't go away. So we all have to work on ourselves and test ourselves. And in a Christian sense, I hear some people say, "Well, I don't understand what that concept of sin is about." They often uh, the the. We can we can simply see it in terms of things that are not good for us or for other people, but it's also not good for us to be engaged in certain things. That's 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 what the the basic idea is in relation. So um, so so the same process is is, is in uh, all religious traditions. So if we take that, um, we, we we the self, the true self. We're going on a journey. We're trying to identify what's real and what's not real. And Buddhism is very good on what's illusory and attachment mm. to things that are not true uh, for the path because we don't want to stop we don't want to go off on a diversion we're trying to the, i think the french word for entertainment is diversion or diversion so uh, mm. that's that's an idea you're going on your spiritual path and i say come over here jeffrey look at what i have to offer mm. and so uh, looks good for a while but it doesn't it doesn't satisfy you so uh, as well as that knowledge and uh, what's what's not knowledge and the right type of knowledge. So all the mathematical formulas are fantastic, but it, it may not give you any spiritual insight. There has to be a context in which knowledge operates. And also, revelation through spiritual uh, thing may be or is superior uh, in, in, in all these traditions to uh, worked out logic or the rational mind, which is it was a difficult uh, yeah. concept to get to. Now, you used earlier Maslow's notion of uh, the plateau yes, yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, m my sense is that when you're on a spiritual path, it doesn't end. It keeps going and yes. going. So, so, so that's an important point. So the analogy is water. I, I think water is a classic... And it's, it's, it's no mistake that they use that in baptism or in other traditions. And Taoism is very based on water. They use that. So uh, the, the idea is that, well, it's not good for water to become a stagnant pool. Yeah. So water, water should flow. It should flow. We're yeah. always going to be moving. So we have to be aware of that. And we have to know that life can never stay the same. We have to grow. We have to move. Things are changed. We can't hold on. We can't fix. We can't grip onto the present as and not let go of it and stop yourself developing mm -hmm. stop other people developing so yes it, it, it's a movement con constantly forward but as the force gathers from as well water is the softest thing the tao te ching but the softness overcomes the hardness the water will wear away the stone through its own mm -hmm. its own pressure um the same thing with the constant movement of the soft mm -hmm. spirit or yin uh, kind of energy that it, it begins to create a path, and it may create a path. It may be pathways in the brain that, that if you want mm -hmm. to look at it in, in, in those terms, uh, which I'm not bothered about. But uh, we, we the, the idea then is that the true practice and true 
affirmation of basic values of compassion and kindness and uh, uh, helping people or service, that the person begins to transcend the ego and to transcend the problems of existence. Mm. Now, there's a different emphasis in Buddhism and Christianity. We sometimes uh, uh, they often represent Buddhism as saying that we should avoid suffering. And mm. if he said, if the Buddha said that, I'm not sure <laughs> sure I'd agree. With. Uh, I, 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 and I wonder do we actually get that emphasis correct? Because uh, Christianity has a different view about suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, my view is that suffering is a n- nature of this existence. We, but we have to learn methods to cope with the suffering and to be joyous yeah. in overcoming of that. Yeah, and, and my sense is, is when the Buddhists talk about suffering, they don't mean pain. Yes, yeah, yeah. They, you know, I, I have heard Buddhist teachers say that, uh, you know, you can be sick, you can be in pain and, and misery, but not be suffering in your yes, heart. Yes, that's correct. And so, so some people don't, that, that's the correct, that has to be the correct interpretation. So that's very well, well put. I agree with you. Uh, but some people represent things. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if the Buddhists are retreating from the world and, uh, but in relation to their spirit, the spirit is not engaging in practices which will cause suffering to themselves or others. So that that that, that that's yeah. the, the notion, and, and that's where they they they, they join together. Yeah. It's probably worth mentioning that there are academic critics of, of the uh, postmodern deconstructionist variety who disagree entirely with the notion of the perennial philosophy or the primordial tradition. They say, you know, mystical experiences are ineffable, so that when someone who is a Buddhist describes their experience and someone who is a Christian describes it, we don't even know what they're talking about, actually. So we can't say that there's a common element. Yeah. Well, I, I could begin to de- deconstruct that statement and say, "Well, is it really true <laughs> that they are ineffable?" Yeah. So I understand the uh, I understand the, the point, and I use that point. And mm-hmm. uh, and there's another term, difficult to explain, which yeah. uh, which is commonly used, which I, I've used. Uh, so uh, so. The idea that a person can't say anything about the experience is wrong. So we've been talking yeah, about it exactly, for some time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the postmodernist deconstruction. I've, I've no, I've no time for a lot of, of that. Really, I think it's a, okay. a waste because uh, you have to accept. Unfortunately, uh, now I'm sure there's great ones out there, so I don't. Uh, to, 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 but but I'll tell you my honest uh, uh, view. There are a lot of people in academia who have political perspectives and political ideological perspectives that are antithetical, uh, antithetical towards spiritual quests. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may come from uh, particular backgrounds. There is there is evidence of mm-hmm. uh, infiltration to utilize the institution to promote a particular agenda. So they would say that. So what does that leave us with? I mean, you have to look at it from a pragmatic perspective of the consequences of these things. So you see the same thing in Beckett, where you, the modern thing breaks everything down, breaks it yeah. down, deconstructs it, and there's nothing left. It's like when you're a child. Well, I, I remember getting a, a car from my father. It's great. And then you open it up because you want to see what's inside. And it's, you, open, and you break it to get inside. You want to see how it's made. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you have deconstructed it, there's nothing left. You can't mm-hmm. put it back together again. So uh, if those... Uh, if they, they help people out in the world to deal with their spiritual challenges, that's grand, but a lot of them won't do. Mm. And there's also, I see a deconstruction of the idea, the very idea of self. And I see that as by, by, by some, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, psychologists and philosophers, I see that as a very, uh, uh, a very bad and negative direction. And I see it as related to the scientific agenda, which wants to dehumanize people, to take away that idea that they are superior to their, uh, to their physical form and that there is something less. So they go together. So some of these, uh, higher level things sounds very, sounds very impressive. It sounds very learned. It sounds very clever, but it's not very wise and it's not going to help people. Uh, that's a generalization, but mm-hmm. in relation to the type of thing I, I'm thinking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, on the positive side, yes. uh, everything usually has a positive yes, yeah, 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 side. Yeah. I think some of these deconstructionists are, uh, they look at uh, some people who view the perennial tradition as establishing a spiritual hierarchy with the great white uh, uh, leaders at, at the top, the Great White Brotherhood, and and then at the very bottom are these indigenous people practicing voodoo and black magic and the dark arts, and they say no, indigenous spirituality is just as valuable. Oh yes, I, 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 I'm I, I I have the greatest respect for uh, indigenous uh, spirituality. It's not all the same, but you have to be careful because the traditions, say for example, of the people here in uh, in New Mexico, the native peoples, yeah. uh, may not be uh, the same as a tribe somewhere else. And on other standards, uh, we can't glorify all traditional behavior. There's loads of traditional behavior that we don't have to, to, to tolerate yeah. or accept, whatever. But yeah. in relation to uh, d- the idea that uh, they're, they're bad per se, that, that's obviously wrong. And there is a great spiritual uh, wisdom among the native peoples of uh, North and South America mm-hmm. and of other peoples around the world. So we have to be very careful. But it doesn't mean that we can't say that, uh, and particularly, there's a lot of legal cases about cultural practices in America when people come from different countries where it, uh, it was their religious practice but it offends against the law here. Of course, as it comes to the United States, people have yeah. to abide by U- U.S. laws. So, so there are ways to, to accommodate that difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't believe, in fact, it's kind of the opposite in some ways, that if you look at the amount of people that are interested in going to South America for ayahuasca experiences with shaman from the tribes, that it's privilege or it's putting the other way around, it's putting the shamanism uh, you know, in a that that also happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've we've covered a lot of ground here. There's mm-hmm. a, obviously these are conversations that can go on for ten thousand years. Yeah. It, there's so much more to say. And fortunately, yeah. you're going to be here with me in Albuquerque yet another day. Yeah. I, I want to have more conversations with you. I want to look at the dark side of yeah. mysticism. Can I finish one point well, just to course. finish the, the yeah. last point I wanted to mention is that true persistent practices. I have an idea that we create what I call the nexus to the numinous, that people who practice the mystical thing create, as it were, a bigger connection to a higher reality. And I think if you look at the Pantheon in, in, in Rome, the, there's a hole in the top. So you have the yeah. gods, but there's a hole in the top. And it's the dome, it's the mm-hmm. school, it's reflecting the idea yeah. that there's always a, a, you create a connection to the higher world. You see that in the Duomo, which is again the dome of the school in, say, Florence, and uh, Brunelleschi's Duomo. You can go up the steps behind so you arrive at the top so you can see the panorama 
all around. So that reflects the fact that people who engage in the path eventually come to a stage where they are open to that peaceful uh, zone which keeps them going over the long. So that that's the kind of end route. And, and I'm under the impression that people on the path, in a way, are like trailblazers that help open a uh, route for other people to follow. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, which yeah. you have certainly done. I want to, uh, for our viewers, recommend your book very highly, oh, uh, The Mystical you. Accord. It's yeah. a wonderful piece of scholarship and and poetry, but it's it's more than just poetry, as you refer to them, sutras. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it, I, it, it's really a work of inspiration. I want to really appreciate your your kind comments. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for being with me and uh, for our viewers who have come this far. This is our fourth interview. I I hope to do a couple more with you while while you're here in Albuquerque, James. Looking forward to them. Thank you very much. Thank you and thank you for being with us. 